All right, we usually do the whole ded- before we start. We the whole dedication thing. So, who, what do you want to dedicate it to this episode? Um, wow, that's a good question. Yeah, I didn't think about dedicating. Um, I dedicate to my brother. I've been trying to get him to watch this movie. I don't know how many times. He's still reluctant. <laughs> oh well, now it's become a joke. Oh, because yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, I'll I'll mention you know Gangs of New York on the internet, and he'll say, "Is that that right. movie with uh, uh, the Warriors?" <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. No, the Warriors was the gangsters <laughs> trying to get back home. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. All right. So we're gonna dedicate it to your brother Steve. Who's, gonna yeah. Try to break his reluctance to watch yeah, it. All right. back with another episode of the St. Paul Filmcast. And once again, we have we talk about classical movies. So, That's of course, right. that means Dan is back. Hello. So, um, Dan, this is actually one of your picks. Yes, yeah. it is. It's, it's kind of a personal it, thing. Yeah, it's yeah. it's one of my favorite films. And I uh, first off, I want to say I'm so glad to be able to be here. Mm-hmm. I recently recovered from a three-day hospital stay for Salmonella. So that was the delay. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't the... You're researching where it's actually. That's that's yeah. right. So I, I wanna I want to apologize for that for being sick and because of that we had to postpone the, you know the particular yeah. podcast for this uh, for gangs of New York for, God what half a month. Yeah, we're so, real ready to go a month ago, but yeah, yeah. we're ready to talk about gangs of New York. Martin Scorsese directing and actually before we did this, it's nice that we had a little delay because I've never seen. Um, Alice doesn't live here anymore, and I actually oh. got Martin Marty's movie, and I actually got to see it. Oh man, that yeah. one! It's always great to see some of his earlier stuff, right? Um, like because it's uh, very not like Gangs in New York. Alice doesn't live here anymore. It's very intimate. It is. It's a very closed-in film. Yeah. Uh, another one that reminds me uh, is uh, Barbara Hershey and um, Carradine. I think, in fact, he. He he filmed this when he was a student, which is Boxcar Bertha. Yep. Yeah. yeah. We actually had to watch that film class. Oh, did you really? We had to watch it. Wow. Yeah. It's um, you know, I I got halfway through the film and didn't realize that Scorsese <laughs> directed. It. I was like, oh wow. Well, I think it took him a while to get what I would say can get your style down, get your own mm-hmm. voice down, because he was just making movies, right? And at the it time, it took a yeah. while. I think after Raging Bull, he finally like this is kind of what I can. Yeah, this what is I kind of my staple. He was yeah, he was honing his craft right. and and something like wasn't as in Alice doesn't leave him up before Taxi Driver. Oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah, Taxi yeah. Driver. Um, very close. I think uh, yeah, uh, just yeah. maybe a and matter once, of a once, year. Once Taxi Driver and Ranger Bull, then we kind of knew what a Scorsese film was. That's right. He, huh. I've noticed lately though, he likes the um, and Gangs in New York is like this, where he likes the narration over the film where he has a narrator talking yeah. about the things that are going on in the movie and we, and we have to give him this is not just this movie but we have to give appreciate he's the one that introduced pop music into the movie very effectively too right uh just amazing how he could you know set a mood because of the music and it's yeah. like wow that is so that is so scorsese right. and it, it's uh it's just well, it's, brilliant. Well, that's what made mean streets right yeah i mean because if you, you it's almost like a period of now this is what happening now this is the music that's happening now yep. this is what it looks like right now and it's, even though it looks dated but that was very much when we looked at a movie it's very much happening 
now. Right. Even costume, everything. It doesn't look dated at all. It, it, it doesn't. Yeah. And and Goodfellas was the same way. It The music went along with the storyline. Right. Even though it has the touches of nostalgia, but it presented itself as, hey, well, back then. Yeah. yeah you know, back then, it was, yeah, everybody does that. Hey, back then. Yeah. It's, you know, went yeah. from uh, somewhere beyond the sea, <laughs> you know, yeah. to Layla. And you knew something was going to be really, really violent if you heard Eric Clapton in the background. Because it's always that contrast. It's nice, nice music when everything's yep. going to crap. That's true. <laughs> yeah. That's right. The contrast. They, they made fun of it on The Simpsons. The contrast, which is like a movie, an independent movie called Candyland. You go see, it's all about drug dealers. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And then you go all the messed up LED magic ride, and it's for kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> all right, uh, so we're going to talk about gangs in New York. Yes. Uh, this has been, throughout Marty's career, something he's always wanted to he do. He really did. And I, yeah. I think to start off on the film, uh, Gangs in New York, I think it's imperative that we start from the novel it originates from. Yeah. And Gigs in New York uh, was written by Herbert Asbury about 1927. And if you haven't read it, I recommend it. It's, um, no, have, you've read it. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's pretty – it's like climbing Mount Everest. It, it, it is. <laughs> Liter- Literature-wise, it's like climbing a mountain, and you, after you get over it, you need a – Yeah. It's yeah. it's a book like you never read before. Uh, um, it uh, – Asbury was a journalist, and he was curious about the history of the streets of New York. Yeah. Um, and he wanted to get down on paper, uh, uh, you know, basically the story of the gangs that walked the New York streets at that time. And, right. And uh, he, he went to the bar, and he talked to some of the old-timers who were just kids during the time of the Five Points, you know, the worst slum, uh, most notorious neighborhood of New York. And uh, he wa- like it's he wanted to get on paper, you know, uh, basically what was going to be lost to history, you know, and disappear, you know, basically disappear forever. So he collected a cast of characters that were the most lively and animated in all literature. I mean, there was Hellcat Maggie, who was a Irish gal from the Five Points, who wore steel claws on her hands. And filed her teeth down to points. Um, she was a member of the Dead Rabbits gang. Yeah. And I mean, Dead Rabbit mean the rabbit, the he, man to be feared. So. Yeah, where Dead was kind of an intensifier, like the, really. The, and or very. Or, yeah, yeah, very. Yeah. And uh, Rabid was, um, meant um, a tough guy, a thug. And after, through time, Dead Rabid became bastardized. And kind of bastardized, and then they kind of into, went with it. All right, so yep. we're a rabbit, we're dead rabbit. And, then they, and they, became they, the dead rabbits. And, yeah, okay. it uh, uh, they, um, It was also known that they charged into battle, usually against the Bowery Boys. Now, with, this is City. This is Manhattan, Lower Manhattan. Lower Manhattan. Five Points is still there, and it faces Brooklyn. Yeah. Um. But it's still, it's not what it used to be. No, it's not. No, you it's, if you go there, you wouldn't even recognize it. In no. fact, I've talked to other people on other podcasts. Like, you don't, it's no point. There's just nothing. Yeah, there's there. nothing that exists of the intersections of, uh, of the streets. And, uh, but it, they would, they would go into battle with actually a dead rabbit pelt as kind of a sigil. Right, and they show this in the movie. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That, and um, the uh, they also fought the Bowery Boys. You know who had their own fashion as well. Now Bowery Boys were a little bit um, north, 
of yes. the five points. They weren't that far from the five points. You know, yeah. when it was like about a mile away, they were fiercely Protestant, where the dead rabbits were Irish Catholic. And that's where the conflict came in. Okay. Yep, yep, yep. And um, to kind of understand what a Bowery boy looked like, if you looked at Uncle Sam with the top hat and the vest and the the uh, mustacheless uh, right. chin beard, that's what a Bowery boy really kind of looked like. Um, that mid-century uh, look, it was basically Uncle Sam <laughs> is what a Bowery boy looked like with the stovepipe hat and everything. Um, and these are just regular street gang. Yeah, they I were. I mean, they didn't were sophisticated. They weren't like organized. Crime, no, but they're just no. regular street thugs. They were. They they had they they had these um, fraternities. That some right. of them were um, firefighters or uh, you know amateur firefighters. They would get together for beers and in lieu of the police not doing their job, they would kind of police their own neighborhoods and um they had a fraternity of whether because of their religion or their uh their ethnic ethnicity you know they the um americans yeah dividing point in early america was ethnicity oh absolutely yeah the americans called themselves nativists the irish were well the nativists called them papists because they were catholic and didn't trust them because they thought well they're just going to take vote. orders for another person oh yeah they're going to they're going to vote the way the pope wants them to vote and of course they breed like rabbits cuz they don't believe in contraception and before you know it they're going to take over the world it's going to be an infestation <laughs> it's going to be an infestation and that's what they were that they were wor- worried about. And, so uh, in the movie, uh, yeah. uh, you have uh, two. It, right away, it starts with a battle. You have yeah. the natives versus uh, the, the Irish uh, American immigrants. It's yeah. not Muslim a gang. It's more or less a coalesce grouping of natives versus Irish Americans. Right, and there's a bunch of them. There's the O'Connell Guard, the Roach Guard, the Plug Uglies, the Chickdishers. They all have these different little, they, they have these names. And then, of course, the Dead Rabbits. Yeah. And then um, on the uh, nativist side, you had the nativists, you had the Bowery Boys, uh, and you had the uh, True Blue Americans. And uh, it was just this conflict, this struggle right on the streets. Right away. Very Kurosawa. Get it out of the way. Yes, it was. (laughs) Get your seven samurai and blood and guts, and then we'll, once the death storms are moved. That's that's Um, true. This movie probably takes back to my emphasis. A really good movie has a real good bad guy. A very charismatic. Oh, Interesting. Yes. Cares. I mean, everybody loves Star Wars. We all know Darth Vader because of, I mean we're eventually we talk about Dark Knight but the Joker every yeah. good movie has, has to have, have a, a villain fantastic villain <laughs> and we certainly have one that we darn near with all the speeches oh, can yeah. agree with yeah <laughs> uh, Bill the Butcher which just... is always every every bad guy has a speech and I'm yep. like God I must agree with him I, don't, I feel bad I was he, he he's a character that you love to hate and that you hate to love yeah. he and he's so charismatic and when he comes out uh, Day Lewis, a very method actor, uh, he just he he just took that role he and just drips oily <laughs> ugliness, but he presents charisma. Right. In that... fact, there's uh, uh, Liam Neeson was talking about it and saying he never got out of character. Uh, oh no! I think in Burn Prep, I showed you a picture because it, uh, the whole set that was designed, the whole five point set, mm-hmm. was filmed in Rome. They built yes. that from scratch. 
And on his day off, the, uh, there was a picture of Danny Dilly shopping in Rome. He's <laughs> a t-shirt, but he had the hair look. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, had the you know matted down with beaver wax, and, and you can tell it's dated because he's got a cell phone with a holster. <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> and he still, he still uh, build the butcher. He still build the butcher. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. People, uh, he, the snapshot I just sent Bill. It's, it's the people <laughs> in the background are like, what? Yeah, and yeah. Neeson would talk about it. Hey, I'd, I'd work out in the you know, uh, very early and, uh, all of a sudden, you know, uh, Daniel day Lewis would come in and I, he said, I've worked with them before. And they did. They, both of them worked on the movie, the bounty with, uh, Anthony Hopkins and oh, Mel Gibson. the third time. The, yeah. The yeah, third one, the third, yeah. the third film, uh, of, Anthony, about the Anthony bounty. Hopkins. Uh, yep. Anthony yeah, Hopkins Captain played. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, Daniel day Lewis played one of the, um, uh, one of the um, uh, captains, okay. you know, he, he was up there, and Liam was just one of the crew, but they were, they shared the movie, and so he was familiar with Lewis really getting into his part, and he said every morning, every morning, it wouldn't he wouldn't say, "Hey Liam, how are you?" Nothing like that. Two fellow Irishmen. It was always, "Good morning, priest." <laughs> you know, it's like I was constantly dealing with the butcher. You yeah. know, on a twenty-four hour basis. So, uh, now, this is a cinematic footnote for film because films will not get made. This is probably the last of the dying era. Oh, it's this expensive set of a large scale where people you can actually stay in. That's right? true. And George Lucas was filming his new Star Wars epic, and he came on set with Martin Scorsese and he said well this is probably the last movie that you ever would do this build this whole stage from scratch to yeah. film just a few amount of scenes because it's all green screen now yeah it's, it's cheaper and that's true get as much out of it as you can <laughs> and Marty certainly got as much out of it that build set that he designed yes he did he he acquired the rights for the movie in 1979 right. but he you know looked around New York and couldn't find anything that was well, there's none of space. yeah and everything has changed <laughs> right. so the uh, other point is he hired not American actors probably primarily a right. lot of these actors were from Europe and, that's true and from England and Ireland so even though it's American American movie. He didn't hire people that were Americans. He hired Irish, Amer- you know, Irishmen, Englishmen, yep. uh, very much predominantly in Europe. And he, um, uh, when he had the chance, yep, yeah, he went to Rome and he went to the uh, um, um, Cinecitti uh, studio and mm-hmm. recreated over a mile of mid nineteenth century New York buildings. A mile, yeah, it's crazy. Um, Consisting of a five-block area of Lower Manhattan, he included the whole Five Point Slums, recreated, recreated it building for building, plank for plank, tree, a tenement for tenement. And That's ridiculous, like, pre-production art it, design. You have to sit there like, all right, carpenters. Yeah, right. it's true. They did. They don't make films like this anymore. This is, like, on a scale of, like, Cleopatra. You have yeah. to go back to, you Cecil know, B. Cecil B. DeMille right. and Ben-Hur. I mean, yeah. it was putting... When people get hurt falling off. Ah, who cares? <laughs> right. We're making a movie. Yeah. He killed more men than Cecil B. DeMille. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they built two full-size sailing ships, you know, and put them in this man-made harbor. Uh, and uh, Oh, for the fighting scene, yep. right? When they realize that That's... fighting boxing is illegal. Yep. And, and while there's international waters, nobody's going <laughs> to Nobody's going to bother with that. 
And I, I want to get a footnote. Boxing that we know now, and I, I'm just going to go on my little tangent, is not what we would associate. In fact, they kind of filmed it a little bit mistaken. Boxing yeah. used to be bare knuckle. It would be bare knuckled, and it gloves. was till somebody fell yeah. or died. Right, and pretty much <laughs> boxing, but then you didn't just work on the head. You worked. You could oh, punch your legs, punch your kidney ankle, punches, punches, punches yep. until the what we call Marksbury, Queensbury, yeah. Marxists of Queensbury rules, rules. where yep. they established the rules for boxing. That's what it's called, Marxists of Queensbury rules. Yeah, that there was going to be, you know, hey, there's there has to be some pugilism um, breaks, breaks. Yeah. There have to, you know, well. At that time, no, is this what Goins? It was Carte Blanche. Yeah. It was whoever survived. <laughs> yeah, they show a little bit of authentic boxing in far yeah. away, but it's boxing. We think, oh, they went by. No, it was not really guarded and not really official. Yeah, it wasn't really monitored as best that it would. It's know. it's interesting that you also brought up Far and Away too, because that was Ron Howard's. Um, uh, film, which I I enjoyed, I liked it, yeah. but the detail uh, and it deals basically with Irish immigrants coming to America, yeah. um, and so it, it does have kind of a kindred spirit with Gangs of New York. However, uh, in many respects, I I loved the the detail that we were talking about with Scorsese's Gangs Gangs of New York, um, that he just well we were talking about the he could have done the CGI, but he he opted not to. And it was the kind of the birth. I mean, CGI has always been around, but yeah. the, of, of a dominant movie, and he just didn't want to think. Yeah. Uh, this is probably the last movie that, if he did true. it now, they'd be like, right, green screen the whole thing. Yep, and, and just, yeah. they did it with Gladiator and creating ancient Rome, and you know, around 2002, you're talking about Lord of the Rings. I mean, yeah. it, it was pretty commonplace. He said, no, I want to go old school with this, and thank God, I, I, it's a well, when you see like hundred people marching, yeah, and you know that's not fake. There's something to it. Like, it's, there, there is. There's yeah. a realism that you just can't get around. You're, you're actually watching it, and that's one of the reasons why I love Gangs in New York because there are sometimes I'll watch, I'll watch it for the storyline. There are sometimes I'll just watch, I'll just window shot. I'll just look at the, um, just the, uh, the background, and just you know, eat up the scenery and just watch that. I, I find it so fascinating because it's so detailed and it's so involved in seeing everything that goes on with it. Um, okay. Also, uh, political uh, particular attention was also paid to the speech of the characters too. Right. To get yeah. the right, um, because basically his loyalties were revealed by accents. You know, you're either Irish or you were Native American. And to develop the lost accents of the Yankee nationalists, such yes. as Butcher Bill, um, the film's voice coach, uh, Tim Monarch, studied old poems and ballads and newspaper articles. Uh, and um, also something called the Rogue's Lexicon, uh, which was okay. a book of underworld phrases put together. Are you kidding me, really? <laughs> no, right. by the New York's police commissioner, so they would have a better understanding of how criminals talked. And they used that for the film. And uh, an invaluable piece was an 1892 wax cylinder of Walt Whitman actually reading one of his poems. Oh, um, it's like an audio? Yes, it was an audio. And Walt Whitman was, he, he was, you know, born in the 1830s. Yes. And so roughly would be kind of considered a peer of Butcher Bill. And 
uh, they used his, you know, his vernacular. Like uh, as Homer Simpson thought that was his gravesite at his ma- the cemetery. He goes up there and it's actually Walt Whitman. <laughs> I thought it was right. his mother. Walt Whitman, Whitman. leaves her grass my ass. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All um, right. So like. I don't know. I, I yeah, but yeah, they did pr- a lot of probably a lot of preparation of yep. how people's their accents bled out through. Yep. And you you get your accent primarily from what you read, right? That's true. I mean, you see that in Deadwood, right? <laughs> it's These true. Freaking yeah. miners who were horrible people read Victorian books. So yep. what do they talk? Victorian. So, yeah, but, they had this very flowery. You know, yeah. it behooves me, good sir. You know, when they talk, because it was a very formal way of of right. talking. And then you hang on the preposition. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I'm up to be. I'm up to be. Yeah. I love well, who that. Who hangs on the preposition? <laughs> um, like, for instance, world yeah. was pronounced, as far as Walt Whitman is concerned, woiled. Yeah. Woiled. You know? yeah. yeah, woiled. Which is tough now because if you really do it now, you almost get like a, uh, really? That's kind of silly. It almost sounds, silly. Yeah, yeah, it almost sounds fake. Which and... can be dangerous when you're researching authentic accents because sometimes you get them and you're like, really? That's... Yeah. Or you can get them, which really enhances the satire, like Fargo, which really uh, yeah, really it. almost it's, it almost has a life all its own. Yeah, yeah, and yep. for all those people that don't live in Minnesota, you know, right? <laughs> but well, if you uh, drive out an hour north of St. Paul. It's, oh, you're it starts, oh right? yeah, yeah, try have some lutefisk, yeah. you know, it just melts in your mouth like butter. So <laughs> butter, butter. So uh, yeah, but. Uh, with Daniel Day Lewis, he he really worked at that um, to get the voice down. How did how did a New Yorker from the mid eighteen hundreds before yeah. the Civil War? How yeah. did they talk? How did it sound? There was a lot of you know they had to eliminate a lot of influences that the New Yorker used now. I mean because um, a lot of like the um, yeah, a lot of Italians and Jews really weren't in New York at the time. They came more in the 1880s and 1890s, and a lot of the inf- inf- um, the word I think I want to use is inflex or inflecting. Um, a lot of it was very Irish oriented because there were so m- there was 200,000 Irish immigrants in a city of about you know 800,000 in New York, and so uh, even Butcher Bill even. It- Though he hated the Irish, he couldn't get away from the influence of the Irish, even in his dialect. Um, they were trying to point out. <laughs> and it's based on a real person, right? Yes. Uh, um, Butcher Bill. Um, well, his name Cutter was... is in the, car- the movie. Yes. But it is a real person that lived. I think he died before 1850. Yeah. He, his name was um, Bill Poole. And Bill Poole. It's yep. a re- he was a real-life butcher. He's yep. a real-life in the butt to everybody around <laughs> yes. him. By trade, he was a butcher, and he was uh, one of the leaders of the American Nativist Guard, or Know Nothing Party, and they were pretty much America alone, or nativists, Yankee, Protestant, nativists alone, and they called themselves a Know Nothing Party because pretty much when anybody would ask him, hey, what's your party about? What's your political no, party nothing. about? What's your stance? We don't know anything. Right. We know nothing. It's very much a Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah. It's nothing. It's, it's nothing. nothing. <laughs> it's a party about nothing. You know? <laughs> and so they started by their yeah. their enemies or their antagonists started be call, being called the Know Nothing Party. And uh, yeah, Bill the Butch, he was um, a leader of this. He fought the Dead Rabbits and the Irish O'Connell Guard many times. And he was extremely talented with the knife, the real Bill yeah. Poole. And um, he had political Which, ties uh, to Tammany Hall. 
Tammany Hall, but we, we'll have to get back to that. Oh, yes. There's a lot of points. But uh, Daniel Day-Lewis did uh, many, what, many, many months working at a butcher shop. Yes, he did. Where he was very articulate with the, them in the show that he's very articulate with the knife and how you treat it. Yep. And, how And, you know, how, how to wound a person, how to kill a person. He uh, yeah. he, got, he got very talented with, he became. <laughs> but it's a nice that he, know the, the, the interesting thing about the character, he knows a trade that he can use that as a fulcrum for balancing dialogue. Hey, yeah. I mean, you want good meat around here? That's me. Yep, that's or, right. Yeah. Or, you know, <laughs> I'm having a meeting. Well, you can have a meeting at my place. We have a good steak. Yeah, and, and that was the... Enticement. That yeah. was the total enticement. And yeah. uh, the real Bill Poole was shot and killed by John Morrissey, who was an Irish political leader See, from there's the not, Five I can't points. find very much about that. If it yeah. was just a duel out in the street. I don't know. I can't find... Or just it he was, was assassinated. He was assassinated in a bar. Okay. And, um, not like not like Wild Bill Hickok. No, no. Um, in fact, um, where did Hickok Hickok just got shot? In the there was Morrissey, and there was another fella that came into the bar, and they were going to meet Poole, and it got heated, and they shot him, and actually Poole took out his knife, and they took off. They actually, <laughs> they yeah, they skedaddled. The guy and, with it, the knife fight. Yeah, the, the guy with the knife at the gunfight, and everybody's <laughs> yeah. scared of him, man. And because right. they knew what he could do with the knife. And so uh, the thing is, is that um, Bill Poole, he lasted for about 10 days. After and then, getting shot? Yep. And then he succumbed to his wounds. Jesus, that means if they had x-rays by then, he probably could have. Oh, oh probably would have easily probably survived. Yeah, he just in a probably, got, of, but yeah. probably put a hole in it, got infected, and that's what happened. And it was it was rumored by witnesses that his last words were, goodbye, boys, thank God I die a true American. And that's that's true. And uh, the word got out of his last words, and all the penny drama plays and theaters down Bowery Way quickly changed the ending of plays um, for the hero to say, goodbye, boys, I die a true American. It, so it gravitated to like the small five-a-dime penny oh, plays, yep. you know, cheap television, cheap theater that it, people went out and seen and... It, be, it was huge. All of New York knew about it, and the um, uh, the city um, all over was aware of the death it would of be Bill a, the it Butcher. Would have, it would be a meme now. People would have yeah. a picture and say, yeah. That, it would have been like, it would be like the, old, the old days, what we're trying to, it would have been went, went viral on the yes. yes. Yeah, and it's true. The Native Americans gave the Butcher one of the most remarkable funerals ever seen in New now, York. I, you can still find his uh, his. Burial site, bar- right? It's in Brooklyn, of all places. It's still yeah. there, right? Yep. Yeah. And more than 5,000 men rode in carriages or trunged a foot behind the hearse, and a half dozen brass bands played dirges as the procession passed slowly down Broadway all the way down to Whitehall Street. I mean, this was a big thing. And um, there were thousands of silent spectators. For weeks, little was talked about except the murder of Butcher Bill and this huge funeral that he had and then you look at it now and almost all of that was forgotten you know who knows about butcher bill if it wasn't for this movie this movie and i think that one of the geniuses of martin scorsese what i loved is at the end of the film you spend three hours with these people hold on if you haven't seen it okay fast forward about 20 seconds yes please yeah (laughs) because i don't want to spoil it for you right but the end of the movie is a it's like a cross dissolve, right? Yeah, it it, it is. It's uh, you spend these three hours with these people and how they lived and very intense, very intense. Yep, yeah. what they went through, 
And these were real people. Bill the Butcher, Hellcat, Maggie. They actually lived. They walked the streets of New York. And you see, um, which was contemporary for the story, you see the cemetery of Bill the Butcher. On Brooklyn. On Brooklyn. And, and priest, looking out to Manhattan. Looking out to Manhattan. And you see Priest Valen, his... his uh, uh, gravestone and it's a cemetery and then in the backdrop you see the years just kind of peeling yeah. away for a whole century you start seeing the skyline become more modern you're like, okay now yeah. we're in the 1890s now we're in 1900 now we're 1912 and as you see the skyline get bigger and larger and more modern you see the cemetery just disappear in the background, just almost as if nobody knew that they were there at all. Yeah, cinematically, it's called Cross Dissolve, where one aspect, it just patches of time. I'm, yeah. I'm getting goosebumps right now just talking about it. I, It's one of the most amazing well, one scenes. Gro- it's called, well, it's a film technique of passage yeah. of time when one goes yep. and a new emerges. It's crossing patches of time. And very, it doesn't get used as much anymore. No, right? it well, doesn't. It's, it's, it's almost, and I, oh gosh, we talked about it with... Um, Nick, um, which another episode would come oh, up. Oh, that's right. We talked about it. It's almost like using your crash symbol when you're in a drum, you're a drummer in a band. You don't yep. want to use that crash symbol all the time, but you want to find the right time yep, to for use. A, perfect, it, yeah. And it's used in such a, just a fantastic way, and it encapsulates this story, this story of um, we all moved on. That yeah, that could have been lost to just history. And I remember, it's like the second time that I saw this movie, and my wife was humoring me at the time, so she would go and on a date, where do you want to go see? I want to see Gangs of New York. Kind of like what Woody Allen would say to Annie Hall. Let's go see The Sorrow and the Pity for the 12th time. (laughs) Gangs of New York, I just had to see it again. And I remember the second time coming out of the theater, just just totally moved by the film, and there was this... Um, two guys in the back, maybe about, you know, I don't know, maybe 20 years younger than me, yeah. going, well, you know, what the hell was that about, you know? And I just wanted to punch him in the face. But I was like, no, I kept it cool. You know, it's not going to it's not going to reach everybody. But I knew the yeah. history behind this movie. And, um, and so did Martin Scorsese. It was a real passion for him. Um, like He was a very much a love New York and – uh, when it started, he said he was a child, and he used to go to mass with his grandmother. And his grandmother lived off of Mulberry Street, which at the time was in his Little Italy, which yeah. Coppola created so wonderfully yeah. in Godfather Part Two. Yes. And uh, the church they went to was and is one of the most famous Catholic churches, you know, not just in New York but in the USA, which is St. Patrick's Cathedral. And even at a young age, Scorsese was he was inquisitive. Um, you know, even though Irish and Italians are both Catholic, uh, well, you know what's an obviously Irish Catholic church doing in a predominantly Italian neighborhood? He he didn't get it. You know, it's like what's going on? And his grandmother told him, "Well, years ago, the Irish used to live in this neighborhood, oh, yeah. and it was there. And you're getting very close to around the Five Points area with uh, St. Patrick's Cathedral, and that that kind of." You know, always kind of sparked now, Marty the flame is, with them. Uh, Italian, descent. yes, he is. And but it's not like he's going to peel over Irishmen. Oh, to get his right. Italian, but I think he appreciates 
all aspects of he yeah. appreciates New York and he appreciates think, right, history. Yeah. And it's nice because I mean we talked about previous episodes with Godfather's about yep. uh, New Hollywood. Yes. And New Hollywood was coming down in LA and is all very much uh you know, easy rider and all that stuff. It was very LA. True. And it eventually got dripped over to New York and East Coast. Yes. Where Marty became probably the staple of New Hollywood in New York. Yep, and the the voice of New York in a way. Yeah. And years later, Scorsese, he was a film student in the early 70s, and he said he was at a friend's house, and his friend had an co- old copy of Herbert Asbury's Kings of New York. And he started reading it, and he I just couldn't put it down. He said it was an untapped pool of forgotten history with all these amazing characters that actually existed. Not only that, but it put the struggle of American politics right on the streets of antebellum New York. He just He just thought that was the greatest thing. And he vowed that he was going to put this on the screen after he read it. And it uh, took him quite a while because that's 1979. It was a, it's 1979. About, it about 2000. And, yeah, he yeah. read it like around 75, 76. But he was able to acquire the rights about 79, and it was his passion. It was his. You know, he's making Raging Bull and these films that a lot of the critics are considering. Hey, these are masterpieces. These are like one of right. you know top ten best films. And always in the back of his mind, it's like, oh God, I really want to make Gangs in New York. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and so when he got it, also last temptation. Of Christ was another passion film for him as well. So, um, which he ran into a lot of controversies for. Yes, and, he did. Well, it still stands up. William Defoe is good in it. Uh, the other aspect of Marty doing uh, uh, these kind of films is he's a very much not, I would say, a crafted artistic something like Coppola would like a masterpiece cinematic shot. Right. right. I think he gets. He's almost like a journalist reporter filmmaker. Yeah. Um, somebody who would just let's get the meat and potatoes of it. Let's, I don't care <laughs> yeah, if it's, yes, yes fan, I don't fantastic. Sure, but yeah. I mean, he. I mean, obviously, he has the same kind of set and crews and stuff. But I, I think him and Spielberg are just let's get it to where it emphasizes the story, yeah, and not the cinema dominates the thing. That's but like true. David Lean would do with Lawrence Arabia, yeah, or Titanic, where everything dominates the whole scale. Yeah, but where rather, it's overpowering. You're right, right, but I think he does a very journalistic, very few. Let's get the report. What do they want to know, though? Yep. Who, what, where, how, I, and how. And he does a great job with that. He heard some screenwriters, um, uh, Jay Cook, Steve Zalian, and Kenneth Lonergan. Yeah. Uh, because if you read if you read Gangs of New York, it's basically informal history, and there's no real storyline. It's just these stories, which are chapters. And you can't really make a movie that way. I don't think it was built, made to be linear. I think no. it was just a collection of of. of, of yeah. Maybe second, third hand reports of something. From the police gazette. Um yeah. some of some or some guy in the street, hey, when I was a kid, this Yeah, happened. this is what happened and these were the gangs that I saw. Yeah. And he put it together in this very, yeah, non linear way in that it was just these kind of snippet stories. And what they did is they took the PowerPoints of the book and they kinda of threw it up in the air and they kinda of created this collage and this kind of uh almost oh. Dickinsonian story, although it's American. Yeah, and it's very much Charles Dickens. Yes, uh, yeah, with the with a Copperfield rev- or Pip. It was yeah. a little bit of almost Sergio Leone Italian revenge flick between. Right. Yeah, because <laughs> the main story is Leonardo's character. Yes, dad was the priest. Right? Priest Valen. Yes. Now. We don't want to get in the preset of kid, okay? Whatever, yep. whatever. Oh yeah, because we don't want to give any uh, spoilers. But but it's almost of him wanting to get back at Bill. Yeah, and most like even Japanese 
or Kurosawa films of revenge. You want to get closer to your enemy. Very similar. Yeah. Very similar. You want to get yeah. closer to, to your enemy, almost to the point that you want to be a part of. Yeah, you. Yeah, they, you underappreciate, and there is a sense of appreciation, respect. I think even Bill has a picture of of Priest Valen. Right, and he also has a code of ethics. He's not just a thug. He has a code of ethics where, you know, the only thing that separated us was faith. Uh, but to, you know, this was a great man. He was the only one uh, person that was worth, that I was worthy of, you know, fighting and killing. He, there was a lot of respect, almost love in a sense. Right. Yeah. Um, which is very hard when you do revenge movies. Yeah. And you almost you who you're supposed to get after. You you get too close and you're almost like, well, I kind of feel for that guy. Yeah. Even though he killed my dad. And, but he has, yeah. a, he has this code of ethics that he's very, very strong with. I mean, yeah. it, it keeps him alive. And that's that's the butcher. And, oh, this movie is so good. I can't, you know, I just, I'm going to be watching it tonight. I hand to God I'm going to watch this tonight after dinner. Well, I, I think it's, well, we talk about, you know, every movie has great conflict. Yeah. This is actually what I appreciate a lot of story writing is a contrast because you have a very, Bill, he thinks he's doing right. This is my, I'm oh, yes. my country. You're coming in and ruining everything. Yeah. You know, that's his point of view. He, he absolutely yeah. believes he's right. He absolutely, he believes I am the good guy. Yeah. I'm the good guy. I'm what not. What you're doing, yeah. everybody, what you're doing is yeah. just totally toxic. Yeah. Exactly. That's <laughs> right. an excuse to be cruel to it. Yeah. And that what's, that's what makes the most interesting character who happens to be evil. It's a flaw in his character that is almost tragic because he yeah. does think that what he's doing is good. He yeah. thinks he's so good he doesn't even need two eyes. Yeah, that's right. He actually <laughs> took his eye out. Right. Yeah, I'm so good. I'm only one eye. We yep. see that in mythologies that people are so righteous they only have one eye because they don't want the other eye. Yeah, that's, that's a, that, but that's a very mythological statement. It is. But there's another contrast where you have uh, O'Reilly. What's his name? The policeman. Oh, um, yes. Uh, um, Jack. Of um, Happy Jack is he's called. Happy, Happy Jack. Jack. Played by um, O'Reilly. O'Reilly. Yeah. Um, um, oh, go, good lord. So he, it's supposed to be the policeman interrogating Bill. Yes. <laughs> but it's not. <laughs> Great scene. Great scene, yeah. It is one of the best scenes that Daniel Day-Lewis, and it's, God, there's so many of them. That yeah. But here you have, it's supposed to be the police interrogating Bill, and Bill's running the show. Oh, he is. Yeah. He is to like, the point where he's angered. Yep. You're not doing your job to point. He's breakdown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And look at the yeah. uh, character behind Bill the Butcher when he breaks down. It's uh, not uh, because uh, not only the, the gloin because he goes a wide range of emotions in oh, two yeah. seconds and shows you why he gets paid outrageous money to do these things. That's right. But it show it's wonderfully framed of the interrogation is a contrast. Oh, and he's yeah. running the show. Yeah, it's... and he's telling the police to, what they should be doing. Yeah, and. How Scorsese frames it of everybody statured up so it looks like a domino effect and everybody has yeah. a perfectly framed shot. And it's one of the most, even though I have a great, it's not one of my favorite films, that scene alone is very is cinematic dynamite. It is. Yes. And it's it's such a beautiful scene. And it's like, I want you to go out there. Get him. None of your little minions. <laughs> you. And it is. He is running the show. It's um, Happy Jack has absolutely no... You know, well, basically, Bill the, Bill the Butcher says Happy Jack doesn't fill his lungs until I tell him that he can. Yeah. And it's a very effective scene. Uh, 
just just a great scene. It, it really it really is. All right, so we're gonna take a little break here, and um, you know, based on professions, um, we'll see how Bill handles when a barber takes over at a county role. <laughs> That's right. All right, all right. We'll take a little break. We'll be right back. <laughs> Hey everybody, I'm TJ. I'm Serenity. And we are Movies, Movies with, with the, the Misses. Misses. We are a podcast about catching up on the classics we've missed, the new releases, dishing on movie news, and always making fun of ourselves. Well, more making fun of you. Hey, come on now. <laughs> you could say that we are... A podcast about movie fans becoming movie fans. You can find us on all the podcast apps, including Stitcher, Spreaker, Spotify, and most importantly, iTunes. Also, hit us up on Twitter... Where you can hashtag twit at me, yo. At MWTM Podcast. Remember, take your missus to the movies before she finds a new Mister. You're not going to find a new mister, are you? Well, don't test me is all I'm saying. <laughs> this is Angelica Norton. And this is Amber Moreno. I produce and I host a podcast called Chatty Crafties. I chat with our crafty friends about what drives them to make, perform, and create. It's not about perfection. No. It's about expression. We invite you to peer into the lives of our guests' creative processes and inspirations. We hope to excite those who assume they're not creative and support those who may have forgotten that they are. Honestly, I just want to celebrate and absorb their creative energy to try new things. So it won't sound so daunting for me to, oh, sew a swimsuit, tell a story on stage in front of strangers, or get back into painting. So find us at chattycrafties.com for a new episode every Wednesday. Thanks for listening. Now go make some art. Yes. Brendan Gleason, he plays the guy was I don't know, but he eventually gets elected, right? Yes, he does. Uh, chief? Uh to um the district sh- to sheriff. To sheriff. And when elected. Yes, elected. Ooh, he I'm Buffalo not Buffalo Bill. Oh my god, Bill the Butcher does not like that at all. No, he doesn't. And when um and, and, and right, he has this, sh- and you've talked about it in prep. He has this shillelagh. Shillelagh. It's this big, large, uh, lacquered up, lacquered up blackthorn just club. And there's all these little notches in it. And just to make a record of what you gotta confess, yep, what he, yes, what he owes God when he dies. And, right. um, so he has this. He's headed through the whole film. Too. Now, there's a little bit of that scene I'm bringing up because there's a little bit because. Bill nice him in the back. Yes. But you if you watch it closely, you can see that the dud ricochets and hits the windshield the, the glass Does next it... to next to Brendan. I didn't really So when you see it throw it, it bounces off Brendan's back and hits it cracks the window next to him. But then he turns around and tries to compensate. You can see the knife there. Oh, so oh my god. It was one of those like no I I'm doing my prep and somebody notices it, like, yeah, whatever Bill the Butcher threw, yeah. hits him in the back, but it bounces and hit, it breaks the window right next to you. You'll see it, and you'll never, you can't unsee it yeah, anymore. It's right there. <laughs> it's, <laughs> and, but it shows, um, it's tough too, because that scene right there shows my, I lost, I, that was it for me as being a fan for Bill. 
Oh, knife, yeah. You're not going to confront him. You're going to throw a knife in his back. Yeah. Cowardly. Oh, yeah. It's very cowardly, and it's— From there, um, I just—I yeah. thought he was going to take every—that's yeah, a cowardly move. Well, yeah, and he's um, he's taking an easy, quick way out when— right. um, Hey, uh, he won fair and square. It, well, I can't say fair, but he won he square. Won. Yeah. <laughs> you know, voting. Um, sometimes they voted twice. Maybe they voted three times. But you know, um, but still, he got the vote. And even uh, even Boss Tweed goes to Bill and says, "You know, you killed an elected official. Well, who elected him? You know." And yeah. uh, uh, that's. It's a nice development. You have a lot of extras. Yeah, it's very full. The whole scene is very full. I mean, you can tell, you can we can nitpick little crap, and it's fun to do. But overall, how he frames Bill from being low, yep. and in Brendan Fraser's high, more of an established moral, and then he has to throw up. It's very yes. framed, very much like all right. Yep, and the first thing that. Uh, Butcher Bill says after that is that my friends is the minority vote. <laughs> you're you right, know? You're right. Yeah, because bad guys always get the best lines. Yes, <laughs> they do. And then he does the notch on his own club and says, you know, this is you, number forty-five. Yeah. You know, and says a uh, Irish racial slur uh, to him and um, tells somebody to, you know, hey, burn his ashes, see if his ashes turn green, and you know, it um, it ju- it just shows the seething hatred that Bill. Has right. at the it's time that dialed in. I'm I'm not even. It's like I'm not even going to deal with my own code of ethics of the street anymore. <laughs> I'm. It, this is desperate times, and so I'm going to go crazy bonkers on everyone. And you kind of get that feeling that he's losing control. And the nice thing is, uh, and, and a good bad guy like Bill. He, yeah, it's hard to say if he's good or bad, but he really does awful things. But you have the right amount of time, not too much of him, yep. and not overly done. He's yeah. obviously a little bit of flash. Not too much, you know, the right amount of flash for flair and everything. That's yeah, it's um, true. And it 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 the right temperament, the right lines, and he says the minority vote. Now anybody other than Daniel DeLeos would say that and look stupid. It would look silly. It would look silly. Yeah. But obviously he knows. Well, that I don't have to do hard and maybe even laugh when I say that. Yeah. To make everybody else well, that's that's evil because if he does it seriously, then everybody like, that's hokey. But he goes, but he smiles at him. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, and. I'm saying this stupid line to make every yeah it works. And you even kind of get the feeling that even he has gone beyond the beyonds. He has forsaken his own code of ethics. To it's the almost street. the reason why you keep the picture of the priest. Yeah, well, and yeah. it's just well now you just become a killer, you know, in your own <laughs> vernacular. Um, and it, and along with that, then you have the character of um, a Valen of uh, DiCaprio's character. Yeah. Um, who is kind of struggling because he is, you know, he's taken under the wing of um, Bill the Butcher and kind of become a surrogate father to him, the father that he never had, even though this man killed his actual father. No, this is, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a big fan of Leonardo. In fact, I'm, I, I know that. We've but, talked about but that. But this is actually yeah. the first movie that actually he was able to carry it. Yes. And I, he's not going to get the accolades from me. That's not the big deal. I, I understand that, yeah. that he does a very good job. And this actually showed that it was very dangerous for Martin to do this. It's yeah. Very, Leonardo wasn't really, he's been around in movies, but this is the first time he's going to actually carry it. His name's going to be up front next to Daniel DeLewis. And that was a big risk 
when you're investing a lot of money. And I think it eventually showed that he can carry the movie. Yeah. yeah. You know, especially because definitely if you're going to be acting next to Denny Day-Lewis, you really got to show your chops. Right. And, um, I, and I think that he handled that very well. I hardly even recognize Henry Thomas, um, who now, was from E.T. He's Elliot. A- right. Elliot, yeah. He's one of the... Kind of what we call a conscious character. Yes. Kind of like, you know, these are frictions going on, but he's like, hey, you know, navigating around and he's kind of like aware of everybody's motivations. Yep. And he he actually, because of his own jealousy, turns the the tide of the story somewhat and um, actually is the one that informs uh, uh, Bill that, hey, this guy... You know, yeah. he, he's no good. He wants to kill you. Now, there's another excellent scene I was going to bring up, and that was the 4th of July. There was a very well-crafted shot, and I, I've already established that Marty yeah. doesn't really care about excellent shots. But then you have this very homage of Bill the Butcher looking like oh, man. Uncle Sam. Yes. And walking like him. But you see, like, people at parades walking with Uncle Sam in stilts. The, and yes. he does that very much. And you see that you're low and looking up at, um, at Bill the Butcher. Very much an Uncle Sam. He has the hat yeah. walking awkwardly and the fireworks are going off. And he, he looks larger than life because yeah. the camera is down at an angle and it's looking up. And he, it looks like he's taking on the whole screen and the backdrop of the city. And you see yeah. this giant firework behind him it's like he's like the size of godzilla (laughs) you know it gives that illusion and of course uh scorsese wants to give that you know this is a war chief that is you know definitely knows his ground and he's this powerful yeah and even politicians um who pretend that they um run the run the uh the city it's actually this guy that does and so they can't ignore him they can't at all. Um, and it's not a surprising footnote. This came out a couple months before 9-11. Yes, it, it came did. came out in the summer of 2001. Yeah. I think that's a little bit of a minus for the movie because as soon it as was. 9-11 happened and, and nobody gives a crap about anything that talks about America yeah. prior to the big event of 9-11, I wouldn't have to say, you know, obviously it's going to people's interest of yep. the movie is going to wane because they, in the movie they do show at the end the two towers. Oh, right? the two towers. In yeah. fact, they waited a year. They waited. They were all edited, ready to go, but then 9-11 happened. They thought it's too soon, you know, and so they actually waited a year to put the movie out to um, because of the scene of 9-11. Yeah. You know, they thought that would be a little too um, – intense uh and so they waited they waited 12 months um and the other thing is the uh spider-man movie that sam Raimi did yeah mcguire the ending was supposed to be a huge spider web between the two buildings oh my god really and it was elected you know the end ends movie you know yeah. captioned and he swing and then they completely got rid of that which, yeah i could see well yeah, yeah i could see i couldn't see how you could do that right yeah <laughs> oh my good lord but uh okay i'm with the notes yes <laughs> Well, it's um, you know it's interesting. Another character that I found very uh, interesting was uh, um, well, getting back to Tammany Hall and yeah. Boss Tweed. Well, that's something we haven't really covered. We should. Yeah, Tam- Tammany Hall is. If you Google it right now, you're going to get a very much a lot of information. Oh yes. It. But yeah, but to please just um, and Boss Tweed was. Uh, um, he was the boss of New York uh, from a political standpoint. And it's the funny thing how democracy works. At first, you know, 
in the movie, and this, there's a certain element that's true to it. He was a very cynical man, and did he care about the Irish or the immigrants? No, not really, but he cared about votes. Yeah. And he knew that, hey, if I'm going to keep you happy, you'll vote for me. And if you vote for me, I can consolidate power. And once I consolidate power, that's what I'm looking for. So you know, is it kind of a bastardization of democracy? Well, yeah, but did it work? Yes, it did. And it gave the Irish kind of a platform where they could actually get up and out of the slum area. And um, It's almost a- like you collectively, you're solidifying your your emphasis yes. right everybody instead of like i want this i want this i want this and we should do that 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 yeah it's all one thing yep. one little thing that we can all get together on and we can get it much more and it, yeah it was kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy what the nativists were worried about because they were like oh my god the more irish are coming in well about 1860 there was 200,000 in a city of about 7 800,000 a little island yeah yep and so it's like hey and these people are going to vote and so well then we want to consolidate that vote. Well, the nativists don't want that. And so all of a sudden, the nativists were working with Tammany Hall. There was this split because Tammany Hall is like, hey, we're concerned about votes. And if you're talking about 200,000 votes, that's power. Yeah. And we want to get that. And it's it's emphasized in the movie. Well, it's politicized. Yeah, and it shows the politicize of the fire, the fire trucks. Yes. Oh, my the, God. The yes. This, these guys, you know, they but yeah. sabotage the other fire truck. The, so that's, they could be the oh. heroes and everything. Which Scorsese yeah. is a huge film buff, and he took that scene from, um, what was it, Raul Walsh's uh, The Bowery, which was made in the 30s with yeah. Wallace Berry. I think he gave me a copy of that. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Oh, it's a great film. Yeah. And um, Jackie Cooper's also in that. And Uncle Fester? Uh, um, from the yes. TV? Uncle Fester? No, not, not Jackie Coogan. Jackie Cooper. Jackie uh, <laughs> Cooper. I'm getting my Jackies mixed Yeah. Up. Not the, um, Jackie Coogan. The, f- uh, the boss from uh, Superman. Boss from Superman. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, Perry. Yes, Perry. That's Jackie that's Cooper. Cooper. Okay. <laughs> and uh, he just plays this kind of, you know, this urchin, street urchin. And But the scene of the two fire uh, of the two fire trucks and the two firefighters um, fighting as the building burns down is airlifted right out of the Bowery. It's it's a great <laughs> scene. And it's, yeah, um, it's it's really, really excellent. So I, the other thing I was going to mention is Marty um, Scorsese has a interesting documentary i don't know if you can find it you might have to do a little bit of digging um it's simply called martin scorsese a personal journey into film oh and it's just him with black and all around and he just chronicles his personal journey it's not a articulate scholarly investigation of cinema it's just his personal viewpoints of a film a film oh and it's good just, lord it's from his first movie we went to see to all the ones that he loves and it's gosh it's about four hours long I could see that. And he's he's very he involved, yeah. He broke it up about four hours long, but it's very, you know, you can research all about movies, but he gives a very excellent explanation about movies that you yeah. probably un- understand. Um, and it's a little bit not so much academic, even though he speaks academic. Okay. So you could appreciate it, all the stuff that, wow. I would love to see that. You can find it. It's called yeah. Marcus Says the okay. Personal Journey. Um, I um, that's also good for our listeners to know too, uh, <laughs> and also the uh, um, 
the thing about Scorsese is that when he does make a film, he'll do a listing of films that he wants his cast to watch. Oh, and this, this, I got a point. Yeah, one was The Bowery, yeah. and another one was um, that was on the list was Heaven's Gate for um, for uh, Gangs of New York. Another one was Oliver Twist from the the forties. Oh, the forties, not the best picture one. Not the best picture one, but okay. the forties Oliver Twist. All right, and. Um, it's he was like, this is your homework. Watch these films. And one was Heaven's Gate, Chimino's Heaven's Gate. And we want you to, you know, gather what you can from that, you know, and learn from it and then bring that across in the film. And uh, I, I had a whole list of them. Those are the ones that st- stood out. No, me, it's very he's very famous for doing yeah. research and stuff. And when he did, there's a very funny story. It was published in Empire Movie Magazine about him finally able to do work with Jack Nicholson. And it departed. Oh, and yeah. he gave a list to Jack, and Jack's like, it's not done. That's all the <laughs> movies he got for me. <laughs> I could see that. And apparently during the filming, uh, they would just sit and, in between takes, sit and talk about movies so much that they actually had to interrupt them. Oh, wow. That is, that is great. Because <laughs> he'd sit there great. and just talk hours and hours like we do about oh, movies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then, all right. Uh, we're ready. Oh, yeah. yeah. And Scorsese, he can. He yeah. will talk, you know, your yeah. ear off from, from what I meant to understand. There's another, I don't know if you can find it. It was a documentary about a different film director, Samuel Fuller. I think I've pointed yes. out. Yes, yes. He's a very, yeah. very below we the radar, very gritty. Yep. We were for MGM, but very low budget B movies. Um, that Big Red One. Big Red One was his top off. That was yeah. probably his biggest movie, but he did like um, um, Shot Corridor. Yeah. You know, uh, steel helmet and all these other ones they're very below the radar but he worked for mgm and marty was in the documentary talking about one of his first movies that he saw was a samuel fuller's first movie was oh that's great the assassination of jesse james by the cowardly robert ford that was the big long title okay <laughs> and marty said when he was going on the train with his mom to go see this movie for the first time he's like it's all crowded he's like wow is everybody else going to see this movie too and, <laughs> and they are and nobody else and he's like why is nobody else? this is a great movie yeah, yeah. And it, the movie is, of course, not really about Jesse James. It's all about the because Robert Ford, when he did it, went to traveling shows and reenact the scenes for everybody. Okay, so, so it's, it's the story behind the how story. How much you have to pay for your actions? So right. All right, we're almost out of here. Yep. And I would, I would like to before, um, before we head out, there's some books that I'd like to recommend to our uh, listeners. Go ahead. Um, that if you do find Gangsta New York interesting, um, I would really recommend these books. Uh, Low Life by uh, Luke Zant and The Five Points by Tyler um, Anbinder. Um, brilliant books. And, of course, Herbert Ashbury's Gangsta New York. Um, there again, if you haven't seen the movie, I implore you to see Gangsta New York. It's a, it's a brilliant film and in many respects underrated, right. I think. Of course, my that's my last thing is how to connect Minnesota with this movie. This would be good to know. Very yes. interesting. Nineteen ninety six movie Feeling Minnesota with Cameron Diaz. Cameron Diaz, who is also who plays Jenny in yeah. uh the film. That is great. Have you seen Feeling Feeling Minnesota? Um, I'm aware of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's Keanu Reeves and Cameron Diaz. You're not missing that. That's my Minnesota connection. Okay. All right, we're out of here. That's it. Thank you so much, guys. You realize-